All right, guys, welcome back to the Short Story Long Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Derrickson, joined by my co-host, Andrew Dial. What's up, guys? And in the studio tonight, we have two special guests. Uh, guest one, special guest, Cody Willenberg. Hey, how's it going? And his co-driver, Randy Dawsonbrock. How y'all doing? So if you guys happen to listen to the KOH updates while I was out there in California, both of these guys were on the podcast talking about some of the trials and tribulations that we had and, you know, successes and failures that we had. So we kind of want to give you guys a final recap of how King of the Hammers went for all of us. Uh, those are excluded on that. And uh, loser, just kind of <laughs> give you guys an idea of, you know, what our experience, our takeaway was, and then kind of a little bit of a recap of the ride home and uh, kind of just get you guys the final, you know, meat and potatoes of wrapping it all up. So all in all, for me, King of the Hammers was a really, really good time. I'll be honest and I'll say I had a little bit more fun last year than I did this year. And I would attribute that to just the extra work that we had to do. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Really? You had more fun last year than this year? I did. I think a lot of it had to do with um, the the time spent rec riding last year versus this year. And I feel like this year we kind of had that the you know the steering rack issue really kind of drained me and uh like as far as fun had now the experience overall i would say i had a overall better experience this year but as far as straight up fun that i had you know what i'm trying to say there yeah i, I guess i can, i i thought this year was more fun even though we finished better last year if that makes sense to you um i feel like we rec rode more than we did last year because last year we only rec rode a desert loop that was it now that wasn't a whole day deal we put a lot more miles on but this year we did a we did the rock loop which i thought was way more you know kind of gnarly and everybody got a pull cable and flipped a razor upside down but i think you're contributing the fact that you had kind of a bad experience within the first two hours of being on the lake bed that could be true that could be true plus i wasn't there so that's definitely it. That is a huge contributing factor. I did miss Dozer. That was a big part of it. I do I believe think everybody missed Dozer, and I really hope next year he has no excuse not to come back out. So hopefully we'll get Dozer back on the old team CW next year at the lake bed. Oh yeah. And as far as that goes, Sam, it's funny you say that because my wife and Nate is saying the exact same thing. And really? I'm on Cody's side. I'm like, you're crazy. I think it was more fun, but I think. Whenever we were out pre-running, we spent a lot more time out riding than what you guys did. And I ain't gonna lie, our pre-run was a lot like rec riding. And I think like last year, um, we were, had a lot of uh, like stressful situations with shocks even more than this year. Like I, I remember being more upset about it last year. I remember qualifying being more of a thing to me than it was last than it was this year. So I don't know. So from a co- driver co-driver's perspective, you guys had more fun. But maybe from a crew member perspective, it was a little less fun. I don't know. And I hate that because I want my crew to have fun. Like that's like, to me, that's 75% of the whole, the whole purpose. I mean, a lot of people would think differently on that, but to me, 75% of it should be everyone should go out there and have a good time because you guys don't have to do this. And if you guys don't come out there and do it, then there's no way I can do it, you know? So I'm not going to say I didn't have fun because I'll tell you right now that collectively as a group, we probably had more fun than 99% <laughs> of the teams that are on the lake bed. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm reading this. I'm taking a reading from this from you and Cody both. So you say you had less fun and Cody said he had more fun. 
Well, I was a crew member last year, and I was a co-driver this year. I wonder if there's any coefficient to that. Yeah, there might be. There might be. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, I am not in good enough physical shape to handle a whole lot of pounding through the desert like you can, because I rode with Cody for, I don't know, 45 minutes shock testing last year and my body physically hurt like my chest it felt like someone was punching me in the chest every whoop which you told me the shocks were not good at all but still like that was 45 minutes not a 12 hour ordeal yeah and i think a lot of the issue with that we fought this year and i mean honestly hours and hours wasted was the fact we were shock testing in the wrong place i mean those things were we didn't change nothing besides maybe some ride height and alignment but things were phenomenal phenomenal on the on the actual race course so yeah we took off right on the race course and i remember it clearly like we hit that section and i'm watching the speed limit i'm like we gotta stay below 60 because this section we're shock tuning to and was just at that point you got crazy and we get going through like the normal desert and i kind of look over at cody and i didn't want to say it you know out loud but i'm like this is way better than i expected yeah, and I think eventually I said, like, these shocks are awesome. Yeah. So uh, anyone that doesn't, didn't listen, um, suspension is a huge part of um, of racing that race, and we fought suspension issues last year as we did this year. Um, but you know what? I think we've learned from both uh, methods. Last year we learned that the sh- like the shocks weren't actually good, and they got really good. Um, and this year we didn't think they were really good, but what was happening was we were testing in a spot that was way rougher than the actual race course was. So in that particular section, they weren't very good, but in 90% of the race course, they were great. So so you're, what you're saying is you were basically testing and tuning in a worst-case scenario type location? And we, But we were trying to get best-case scenario results. So we were trying to go 80 in a section that even the best of the best was probably only running 60 through to begin with. Yeah, I agree with that. So I think, uh, like you said, we were testing such a bad spot, but we were trying to match in that same location what we did last year, but I think it was that much worse this year. I think the section was a lot worse this year than last year. You know, and as we, I mean, we ran that section last year on the race course, we ran it this year on the race course. So I think, I think like, you know, even though it's a year apart and the wind and the rain changes the train a little bit, like overall, the train keeps getting eight out bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, look at back door. It used to never be that undercut and it is now. I mean, it was never that undercut before. It's more undercut now than it ever is. I mean, to the point where very few people were even playing on it this year because it was almost not doable. Well, I remember last year going out there and having some drinks on the hillside. And I mean, it was busy all night long, kind of like Chocolate Thunder was this year. Yep. And you, you know, look over that direction, there's almost nobody over there. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, the train kind of, you know, as it gets ate out and used, it just gets rougher and rougher. And that was a big, big part of it. So. Ready? So yeah, overall, I uh, I had I had more fun this year. Um, I think next year we take what we learned in the last two years, and I think it'll be even uh, even even better. And I don't know if I've said this. I've definitely not said this on air. I have completed that race now two years in a row. I don't give a damn if I complete it for a third time. I'm going out there to win. I I the last two years I went out there to finish that race, and I had the mindset of finishing that race and. I conserved the car in certain situations and maybe didn't push as hard as we could in qualifying. And 
I am willing to total the car in qualifying and not even be able to race the race next year because I'm going out there to win. And if I do that with that mindset and something happens, I think it'll be a lot easier. Is is it a is it a such thing in the rules to qualify with the pre runner? No. Had to qualify with the race car. With the race car. Okay. Yeah. So I like that idea. I was like really working on trying to be conservative like that's not my style not even a little bit the whole time we were out there i'm like i gotta tell cody slow down i gotta tell him this and this is hard for me to do but i'm like i'm game for this next year this is gonna be our style both of our style really so you know and i i do know for a fact that there's a there's a multiple times in the rocks that i was checking up or not hitting as hard as i could have i didn't want to break nothing and next year we're just going to go for it you know i i guarantee we winch less we may, we may blow the front diff apart in the first five miles of the rocks and be done, but. Well, I mean, Kyle Chaney doesn't winch hardly ever. So, I mean, he just blasts through everything. He, I mean, he may be cutting the race course, but <laughs> he, he pulled winch, I think he said twice or whatever. Well, I was told from an inside that Can-Am had 30 people that was up until 4 a.m. in the morning throwing rocks in the big technical sections knowing their drivers were going to come through early in hopes they could get through there easier in the, before the rocks got spun out of the big holes. It's not technically cheating. It is not cheating. The race course is open. It's actually very, very smart um, team strategy for sure. Knowing you're going to be the first five guys through there before the rocks get kicked out, it's, it's genius. Um, it's just tough to compete with that. How do you, I mean, it's very hard for a working guy from the East Coast to go to the West Coast and compete with that. It's, it's not in the spirit of the race. And there's a lot of things which, which Jason can attest to this as far as like, it was pretty cool seeing all the live feed stuff they had this year. I hope they expand on it next year. But if you go back and you watch, I mean, there's already memes about it and everything. If you go back and watch some of the driver's meeting footage, people are legitimately asking the race promoter how they can cheat and get away with it. And he kind of got lippy with them. And that's where the memes come from. They're asking you know, in a very roundabout vague way, you know, there's a checkpoint here. If there's a certain situation that somebody could potentially blah, blah, blah. And he's like, if you don't know where the race course is, then just leave. I'll give you your money back because the spirit of the race is this valley, go through this valley in the bottom through the rocks. And people are finding these quote unquote shortcuts where they're not technically cutting the race course because there's no checks and balances in place to make sure that they're not taking a shortcut. Yeah. You know, that's, and that's difficult. And, uh, you know, I see both sides of that for sure. You know, I see, I see Dave's side of the race courses, the rocks stay in the rocks. It's just that simple, you know, kind of black and white. Like if you go out of the rocks, you're out of the race course, just period. But the rules state you have 50 foot. Well, there might be a highway outside the rocks at 35 and a half feet or say 48 feet. Well, guess what? It's within the rules to take it, you know? The the written rules says it's legal. Dave's verbal thing, stay in the rocks, the rocks is race course. How does that hold up? And uh, they're asking a valid question. And unfortunately, like you're saying, is is it's adapting and changing to not like the good old boy race anymore. It's changing to big, big dollars, big, big. It means, Competition. A, it means a lot to win this race. I mean, the, the winner of this race... Uh, I think I'm safe to say a quarter million dollars in um, not only cash winnings, but sponsorships. I, you could say gift stuff, sponsorships, tires. I mean, 
you got to think about it. We had we had 20 tires thanks to AMS this year. Like, thank you very much. That's like a $6,000 value. Well, the guys that win in this race have 20 tires plus $20,000 if you run their tire. You know what I mean? Because absolutely, it's a, it's a quarter million dollars or better to the winner and perks throughout the year with, with other things. So if you can take the highway that's 48 feet off the rock course that's completely legal, what are you going to do? You're going to take it. Anyone would. And the people asking the questions were, what happens if people don't take it? And his answer was, stay in the rocks, get their race number, and report them. And I don't know. Me and Randy seen it once or twice. Um, and I, I think it was, I don't, I'm going to call a certain number, but I think I seen the guy's number plate. Um, but you don't, I mean, don't make me the tattletale. You know, don't make me the the guy that has to report the guy that cheated like yeah, this set, is your race police yeah, it set the race up where i don't have to be your referee you know and Put referees in place and and on some level we'll get into this a little later i was watching the live feed of the 4400 race on the way home and jason Shear straight up cut about 600 yards 600 yards out of the race course on live footage drone footage helicopter footage just in front of the entire audience online and in Hammertown. They even talked about it as he was doing it in live feed that he was doing it. And they're like, oh, that is, you can be a hundred foot off. You can be a hundred, like, well, we'll have to check that, check and see if he's a hundred foot off. And he was, um, I mean, figuratively a mile off course. Well, I mean, and uh, that's, that's tough. As a racer, Jason was dealing with a lapper in front of him, right? He's dealing with a lapper, basically a guy in his way, eating the dust, and he knew the course went left, and to get out of the, he knows he's getting chased hard by second place, right? And he made a decision as a racer. He didn't, I don't feel like he cut that corner because he thought he was going to cheat, right? He made a decision as a racer, I'm going to cut this corner, knowing I'm cutting the corner to get in clean air to get past this guy in front of me that I've probably given a push to pass to at this point 10 times and he didn't, didn't take it. Right. Um, which we discussed what the push to pass was so I can get in clean air because second place is breathing down my throat. So he probably made a decision that I'll take the 30 second penalty they're going to give me. Cause that's probably all it really legitimately saving was 30 seconds to not get held up by five minutes. So in his situation, I can't say I wouldn't have done the exact same thing, but there needs to be a black and white, rule in place to what happens when you do that because the penalty in his mind was just him guessing what how Dave would have handled it. Fortunately for him, it didn't matter. Uh he got second um due to time time anyway. And I think third place was far enough away he could have took a 30 minute penalty and third place wouldn't even wouldn't even have mattered, you know? Right. And I, he did he didn't save 30 minutes. He he maybe have saved legitimately race course to to shortcut a minute, maybe. I would say probably less than that at the, at the race pace they were going. Yeah. But I think a lot of the thing comes from the gray area. Yeah. <clears throat> I read an article in Hot Rod one time. They were talking about like cheating. They said nobody likes a cheater, but you can always question the rules in your advantage. Yeah, you know, and it's just running the gray area. And unfortunately for Dave, this, is, this series has grown to be the elite, you know, premier off-road series and it's something that is you know now national televised and all the magazines are there and the factories are there so he needs to sit down and write a real rule book i mean a rule book that is that is real i mean we raced the quote-unquote stock utv class pretty much the only rule is you couldn't be anything bigger than a 33 inch tire 
And even that rule was vague. And had to have, yeah, exactly. And had to have all factory bodywork, which again, I didn't have a factory dash. I didn't have a factory bed. So how was I allowed to race that race? Like it needs to be, the rules need to be written out very, very detailed. I mean, a Bible of rules basically. And they need to be, there needs to be a real tech, not just a, yep, your seatbelts are here. Your pins are here. You know, your safety equipment's up to date. There needs to be a legitimate class tech. The first stage of tech should be what class is your car car qualified in? And at that point, the tire size should be de- determined and discussed and guys running not sizes on their tire or are running a, 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 a quote unquote tire that's sized as a, say a 35, but it only measures a 33. Like you need to have that, that needs to be discussed before the race even starts. And, and I mean, down to like what even defines stock? Like you said, stock bodywork, okay. And they, you know, they made the the stock suspension mounting points. Like that was a point. That's a good rule. I get that. But then in the spirit of the race, you know, our, our biggest competitors this year were all the factory guys that are quote unquote in the stock turbo class are running a 30 some gallon fuel cell in their race cars, allowing them to bypass the fuel stops. I mean, that's not a stock car. That's like the whole idea is I can go get one of these from the showroom floor and race it with some safety modifications. Well, there's a $14,000 fuel tank in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that's what needs to happen and, and understand, you know, again, I, I am, you know, from the business owner me, I always try to see both sides of the story and, and kind of keep open-minded about it. But Dave makes his money off of the spectators, not off the racers. I mean, the, the money is made off the spectator side. So he has, you know, X amount of problems on his plate to deal with every single year. And I guarantee you the spectator side of things is fixed way more than the race side of things is because the spectators are where his money comes from. So if you got X amount of time in the year to fix a problem and you got so many problems, you're going to prioritize the ones that are going to make you the most money. And that's obviously the spectator side. Fortunately for us, we've never truly viewed it as a hundred percent of spectator. I bet you, it's probably a really awesome event to go go view and see if you're a if you're a true spectator. I would I would say that. Because- I, I agree with what you're saying about how he deals it off the spectator side because even in his last email he sent out, he said he's going to try to figure out a way to waive all uh, fees for entering in a race for next year, and he's going to try to make all of his money on spectator side. Yeah, you know, and that's. And I think he understands that he needs to keep racers so the spectators come. Right. Um, so now maybe he's having a little bit of a, of a shift change on what can I do to the racers to lower the cost for them. He already did that this year. He did a like a um, racer payback program where every spec every every spectator that bought their spectating pass under your race number, you know, I got, I don't know, I think I got like two hundred forty bucks back, you know, like in a, in a check from Dave. Um, and then same thing with like apparel and all that stuff. So he did some stuff already this year to kick back to the racers. And I think Randy's right. It's going to continue moving forward to try to make it the cheapest he can for the racer, um, and make his money off the spectators. Because again, there's a hundred thousand plus people there and that's where the money's at. Not the, I don't know, what was it? A thousand racers, you know, thousand fifty two, a thousand fifty two racers, a hundred thousand spectators. Where's the money come from? But Without the racers, he has no spectators, and that's something I think I think he is coming to light on now. As as uh, it's kind of coming, you know, to face with him. So I don't and think it, the dude ever needs to work again. No, no, and, and and I understand. Like, yeah, we were out there, we were watching people cut course, and I kind of stuck on him about staying on course. Let's race this race the right way. 
it'd be really hard to do it 100% on course again after watching all these people do differently and uh, never have anything said to them. You know, and that's, you know, Randy's making a good point. Something that's, you know, really good is it's uh, it's been known that you'll be 100% disqualified if you ever move forward without your co-driver strapped in. And that's pretty grayer because how do you ever police that? But I can tell you right now, when you watch it on the live feed and someone, a, a, a co-driver crawls in a car and the car starts moving the second, I mean, he's, he's, he's not even got his, he's not even got his arms in the car yet. And the guy's moving forward, like not just pulling out of the way, but like literally moving forward on the race course, the dude's not strapped in like automatically from the live feed disqualified done, you know? Right. And I think it's going to take that going back to writing the rules and enforcing the rules. It's going to take that for that to even go. I mean, do your best at least to sit there for 30 to 45 seconds and let your co-driver pretend like he's strapped in. I mean, know? it's not easy yeah. to get strapped into these. Cars. No, it's not. It's not. It's a process. You know, you're, you're strapping, you're not only you strapping in, in a confinement seat where you can't move side to side. Um, you got a Hans on, so your neck doesn't move and you have got to get harness on. You got to get your window net up, which is not easy. You got to get your air on. You got to get your, your uh, communication plugged in. So it's not, I mean, I would say if you had a legitimate race of how fast someone can go from outside the car to inside the car, it would legitimately be probably 30 to 40 seconds, best case, if everything was perfect. Best case. Not, not your harness is laying everywhere in the seat and your pumper hose just unplugged <laughs> and thrown in the car. Like That's like pumper hose in the right place, seat belts all opened up ready for you, so... Because what they don't know is once you sit down in that seat, try to put all it on, you're with the Hans device, you can't look down and see any of it. You got to know where it's at. You got to feel for it. You're just, it's all, either you put it in the right spot when you took it off or it's a mess trying to find it. Right. Do you think they're kind of lenient on those rules to keep the racers happy? You know, if some guy went all the way out there and got disqualified on the seatbelt thing, like he'd be like, screw it, I'm never coming back. Well, you know, I think there's some of that, but at the same time, you know, let's keep people alive, you know, let's keep people safe. I feel like that's one rule that you shouldn't slack on under any circumstance, you know. I think if a guy comes out there with a set of 35s that truly measure a 33 and the rule states it goes off advertised size, I think that's a situation like, you know what, it's only measures a 33, the rule, like that's where you, that's where you let, the rules bend a little bit, but on safety, and we had a whole podcast on my time on safety. Like I think the rule on safety is absolutely not. You know, it's of anything you should enforce. It should be the safety side. Which Agreed. he said he said in the drivers' meeting before the qualifying that there's a potential where your co-driver will have to winch, and I would rather you leave his ass right there on the course than pretend to buckle him in and keep going. Yes, and you know, Dave. Uh, Dave is kind of a very, I would call him a hard ass and uh, kind of go, but I'll tell you one thing. I, I have watched that man cry, um, man tears, you know, um, seeing people get hurt or, or even killed. Like he's a pretty big heart when it comes down to it. And he is very passionate about the sport. Um, may not always kind of show it, but I think he has a, a big heart for it and he, he does mean the best, but we're talking about, I mean, I don't know. We, what do we figure one time? We're, I mean, we're talking about probably almost a billion dollar event, you know, for two weeks out of the year, multi, multi-million dollar event for sure um, that this guy's dealing with. And it's his only, it's the only thing he does all year. I mean, I'm sure he's probably taking a month off, but I'm I'm guessing by probably about right now, he's already starting finding sponsors for next year and uh, employees. You know, he, he probably lost 25 employees this year, 100 employees this year he's got to replace for next year. So 
you know, he, from the time he gets done, he starts all back at the beginning because it's such a huge event. Yeah. I think we did a little quick math on the, just the apparel trailer and super, super conservative math over the one week they're open. We estimated that he grossed 1.2 million on apparel just, just by pure average ticket and, you know, average time it takes per transaction. We were super conservative with our numbers and came up with 1.2 million. Which fun fact, one year Jedco did the Huggies <clears throat> and the lip balm for King of the Hammers. No kidding. Mm-hmm. And you're no missing kidding. out now because that would be, I bet, I bet that Huggy order is 50,000. I'd say yeah. you're probably right. I got one. This was probably 20, it's probably uh, 2013, I think was the year we did it. You need to be reaching out. <laughs> I've tried. I bet you that apparel deal is, is I mean, I bet you the guy's making pennies that's actually doing it because of the volume that the, that there's there. I'd say that. But So, well, I'd like to go ahead and wrap up this portion with two questions for both of you guys. First question I'll ask Randy first. What was your favorite part about, I guess split it into two. What was your favorite part about the event and then your favorite part about the race itself? I would say the event, my favorite part was probably pre-running the rocks. Okay. I mean, it it was fun. I mean, I mean, I said it like, it was like we were out wreck riding, you know, just pre-running but we were making notes and we were doing race you know race stuff but it was fun doing it that was probably my favorite part of the event that was the first time i ever pre-ran the whole rock loop i'll always do it now always and then the favorite part of the race actually i'm gonna go back on that i don't know if that was my favorite part of the run i had two favorite can i have two favorite parts well yeah absolutely my other favorite part was uh the event was whenever we decided to pre-run the uh, Desert Loop in the uh, Pro-R and the uh, Optimum Battery Helicopter turned around and chased us. <laughs> so I'm still waiting to see footage from this. So yeah. that was pretty cool too. But all right, going back to the actual race, there was a lot of really cool parts. I mean, just the car handling really well. We took off through the desert and it was fast and nobody was passing us. I mean, that was good. Um, we got into the rocks and it actually handled pretty well until we tore stuff up. But probably my favorite part was when Cody dang near put it on its top and the look he gave me when I used a snatch block and hooked the <laughs> strap back to the roll cage behind him. I could just see it in his eyes that he was a little bit confused. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So to elaborate on that situation, we, we flipped, um, on our side, but more like, I would, I don't know, I, I would say like almost all the way over cause it was off camber really bad. And the winch is out of the front of the machine. Right. And obviously he's going to try, I'm where we're flipped on the right. So he's going to try to winch me left and he brings the, the hook and he hooks it on the rear of the roll cage. I'm thinking what in the hell? How, how is this going to work? But whatever, dude, you're outside the car, not me. And he, it, it worked. I mean, I remember getting flipped back over and the recovery guy standing there that was like kind of there to help you if like you were 100% done throwing in the white flag. He kind of looked on his face was like, wow, that worked. Like that, that just worked. So he was, he was waiting to pull your ass off the course. Yeah. Yep. I don't really know what it actually looked like from outside the vehicle, but from inside the vehicle, I was really confused. The uh, recover guy actually, when I was, un- when it got back to its wheels and I was unhooking it, and uh, he was still standing and he, he looked at me and goes, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Which it made the highlight reel, not the recovery, but the, the yeah. flip it did. So Cody, same questions to you. Favorite part about the event, 
And then favorite part about the race itself. So favorite part about the event is just being out there with all my friends and, you know, hanging out and leaving work at home and uh, just enjoying what we do and what we love to do um, in an atmosphere where, you know, cell service is minimal and, you know, you're not on your phone during dinner and you're not, you know, answering a million work phone calls and just literally hanging out and having fun wheeling. So that I'd be really biased to say if that wasn't my favorite part, just kind of being with friends. Um, I don't hang out with buddies a whole, whole bunch. So when I get the opportunity to do things like that, like that means really, that means a lot to me. Uh, I'll piggyback off of Randy's thing because if, as soon as you asked that question, I was like, Oh dude, hands down. We're running the pro art 90 mile an hour getting chased by the helicopter. That was pretty cool. So, uh, that was really, really neat. So that would be, you know, something I have to definitely talk about and share that we were running, I think around 80, 82, maybe. And then I, the, I seen 87, a helicopter comes above us and like flying sideways videoing us. And I just put it to the floor. I was just as fast as it would go across the desert floor. So, <laughs> uh, the race was probably when we bypassed RP two the second time. And I told Nate, I radioed in like, we're not stopping. Uh, we'll see you boys on the next go around, you know, like I was feeling really confident and I remember like kind of got the chills, like we were doing this, our, our troubles are behind us. Like it's just us and the rocks ahead of us. Like we got this, we can handle this little that I know we were going to experience a whole bunch of troubles after that. But, uh, I felt like really, really, really positive And I got like the chills and like a little bit of emotion come across me. Like we were, we just passed RP2 the second time. We got one more time through here and this way, this baby's over with, you know, and, uh, I'm going to do this two years in a row and could kind of talk about, I think we'd have a little bit, but we met a guy out there this last year, been doing it for nine years that this was the first year he had ever finished the race. So for me to say, like, I'm not trying to be ungrateful by saying, I don't care if we don't finish again, but, uh, you know, finishing this race alone is a, is a huge feat, but I was at heart disappointed with our finish and how we finished. And I definitely, um, thought I was capable of doing better. Okay. So I, I don't have a question for you, Cody, on that. So uh, we did. We finished worse in standings, but overall time on the course, and we finished way faster than you did last year. I mean, what's your thought process on that? The bypass. The bypass? The bypass. Think about it. They they bypass the two hardest rock sections there were. So if you take those out of the course, I mean, think about if you – I don't – I'd have to look at like – you know, who did the bypass and where they finished, but take the bypass out of the way and then, and then let's redo this, you know, let's, let's, let's try this again with no bypass. And there was a, there was a stock bypass that you could take. Uh, allegedly, if you were only in the, what was it? The sportsman class. But I know that's not true because I, Hubert took it and he's in our class and yeah. he placed better than us. So that goes back to, you know, are they really looking at the GPS files? Are they really watching that? You know, like we probably could have kept on going on the bypass, not dealt with none of this stuff in Jack like we did and finished better and no one would have even said a word to us unless we would have got protested or turned in. I 100% agree with that. You know, hindsight 2020, I wish I wanted to have you turn around. Yeah, you know, I don't regret turning around because I know at heart we did the whole course and I would have a hard time sitting here being like, oh yeah, we finished, you know, 11th overall. And we, we, you know, like we cheated. I don't know. I'll take a, oh, I don't even know where we finished 15th in class. And I don't, don't, I'm not, I'll be honest with you. I have never even looked it up. I've only been told where we was. I was told 13th. I was told 15th. I don't even know where it is. It doesn't even matter because I don't, it wasn't good enough for me to care about. But uh, I feel confident knowing we completed the whole course straight up. 
without cut, no corners, and uh, you know, is what it is. But I'll tell you what sucks is is sponsors don't know that, nor do they care. You yeah. know what I mean? They want to see that finish. So. All right. I mean, we one hundred percent ran Dave's race. One hundred percent. The way he wanted it to be ran. Yep. And in the spirit of the way that race should be ran, but doesn't always make any difference. And one thing I'll say is our biggest issue this year, uncontrolled by us, was the fact that Cheney and Millers were in our class in the quote-unquote stock turbo class. And I think if you take our finish time and put that to the unlimited class, we would have finished in a better position if we would have moved up a class. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right on that. Someone else had did that math one or two, and I think they said we would have got like fifth in the open class. We would have been seventh in open. Is that what it was, yep. seventh in open? So, you know, I don't know. We we ran the race that we built the car to run. Um, there were some changes and some, you know, professional drivers that jumped down classes and things like that, and you know, we just we stuck with what we were going to do. We designed, we built that car to run that class, and that's the class I chose to stick with, and I don't regret any of it, but uh, again, we'll learn from it. Go out there next year with a little bit different uh, different mindset and hate to tell you, if they're going to run the gray air as hard as they do and there's nothing going to be happening from it, we'll run the gray air even harder. Just part of racing. So question two, Randy. Least favorite of the whole, the whole week and least favorite of the race? There's never that, a bad time. Anymore. I was going to say, that's hard because I can't think of a bad time. I mean, there's times it was hard and we were working on stuff, but there was never a bad time. I mean... I'm, I'm not saying the... But I'm, I'm trying not, to think I'm not, of I'm the, not saying what was a bad time. I'm saying least favorite. It could have been the time that you ran out of Dr. Pepper, had to go all the way back to the camper to get another Dr. Pepper. I don't know. It doesn't have to be like an evil situation. Just what was your least favorite? We missed ice cream one night because we were recording a podcast. It's funny. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. It's like the night that we were recording a podcast and we talked about getting ice cream. And then didn't go get and ice cream. And we didn't go get ice cream. That was probably my least favorite. Viewers, okay. you should be specially treated that we missed ice cream one night because of you. But. I know I appreciated the podcast updates. <laughs> And the least favorite part of the race, believe it or not, it was not having to walk five, four miles. No? No, it wasn't. It was probably... When I flipped and Jack? It wasn't even that. I think the, my least favorite was when the clutch gave out the first time and we were putting it back together and watching 20 people pass us. Yeah, that sucked. It yeah. was like a wall, like for a little bit, it was like nobody. Then all of a sudden, like a wall of people come pa- coming past past us. So, Cody, what are your answers? So, my least favorite part of the event was the fact that we had a lot of car troubles, um, and my whole team had to stay up until who knows what time in the morning to fix the car. And I hate that you know they were having to work as hard as they were when we go out there and have fun. Um, my least favorite part of the race was breaking the clutch for the second time. Cause I feel like at that point is when it cost us the majority part of the race. If you had asked me during the race, I would have said the first flat tire, because I was really up. Randy's like, dude, calm down, calm down. It's all right. We're only losing a few minutes. But I was like, no, like I had this whole race planned out of my head and how it was going to go. And where I was going to have an issue was not by 35 miles in with a flat tire. You know, we weren't even prepared to change it. We didn't have a jack at that pit. We had no jack. Um, so at the time I would say, you know, obviously the flat tire, the first 35 minutes in, cause I thought that was going to cost me the most amount of time. And, uh, all reality, it didn't. No. The funny part about that flat tire is he did, he had that in his head and he needed to get past it. And what finally got him past it 
was when we ran over an AGM Jack and he was now talking about that instead. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was my least favorite because I got a call shortly after that pit stop saying that you were broke down and I was left clueless knowing why you were broke down and I could have swore to you it was my fault. I did something wrong during the pit stop. That was my least favorite part of the race. So one thing that I can say, Sam, and I don't know if I've ever told you this or not, and I think I, I try to tell everybody how much I appreciate them coming out there, but I was watching some video of you, like your interaction and like how you reacted in the pits and like what you were doing. Like you legitimately had 100% focus, all care in the world on making sure that car was right during pit stops. Like you weren't, you weren't looking around, like you were on your hands and knees, like you were making sure that car was perfect for the one minute, 35 seconds, 45 seconds you could. And like, when I watched the video of that, I'm like, man, it meant a lot to me. Like, dude, he legitimately cared. You know, it wasn't like, this is what I got to do because this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, dude, you like, you cared, cared and made sure it was perfect. And I appreciate that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what we're out there to do. I mean, the whole whole reason for the event is that 12 hours for that race. And, you know, if I can catch something, I mean, the whole, I mean, I can't physically be the guy changing the tire or changing the clutch or whatever, but I was going to be damned if I could see something that was going to cause an issue down the road that I couldn't fix premeditatedly. Yeah, you seen the boot was ripped, right? Did you put duct tape on that? I did not. Oh. What was the duct tape for? Someone asked for duct Oh, for the, the tire tool. Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, to so put the socket back in the thing, which I, you had a torn boot, and I think you, like, were like, check it or whatever, and I checked it, and I was like, I mean, it's going to throw some grease, but it's an RCV. Fuck it. It'll live. <laughs> Send it. So we need to ask Dozer, too. Even though he is home, we need to know what his favorite part of the whole event and the feedback and the uh, feedback from the race. Well, I, I hadn't really thought of this because I didn't think I was going to ask get asked this question. Um, I would say my favorite part was watching Boss Man on live feed on TV. Like, that's my friend on TV, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, that was cool. I had a lot of people texting me like they were texting Sam. Like, what's up with Cody? Like, I don't know. I'm sitting in Effingham. Yeah. I know uh, what you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would say my least favorite part was when, uh, Cody was broke down like three miles from the finish line and we were eating supper and like, I was like watching the live stream, seeing if I could see anything, watching the live tracker. My wife's like, do you have to be doing that right now? And we got in a huge argument about how I've been watching my friend race all day. And I was going to watch this at supper time because he's about to the finish line. And then he <laughs> finished like two hours after supper, but yeah, you could have yeah. saved the argument, huh? But that's fine. That's what life is all about, arguments. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was probably my favorite part. My favorite part would, was also probably not the 30-hour trip home as well. Right. So, uh, go, go ahead. What do you have to say? How was the 30-hour trip home? Well, so that's what I was going to, if there was anything else that you guys wanted to talk about the actual race itself, we can talk about our trip home because Randy and Nate, Emma, myself and uh steve we all took off friday noon or whatever don't forget about trey and jason i'm oh, sorry and trey and jason uh we all took off to go home and i don't really understand like the math does not make sense in my head because it took us five hours to break camp on friday morning 
<laughs> it took us 45 minutes last, last year you finished the race and you're like we're getting out of here i'm like you gotta be effing kidding me and like 45 minutes later we're headed down freaking boone road like dude i don't know either because i thought the same thing as we were tearing down and i don't feel like we did any better or worse job either year disassembling everything i don't know i, I, I last year we were just throwing shit in the trailer i know that dude That's i don't true. know man that, like the it? like the poles for your uh uh Canopy and stuff, or just throw them in. You're like, don't scratch them. Like, fuck you. We're going home. So, new least favorite part was when I fell off the stack. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That hurt. Yeah. I was going to ask you like a day later because I was legitimately concerned. Like, were you okay? Like, how'd that feel? Were you stiff the next day? Oh, big time. So, the stacker has like a car left in it. I don't know. It's every bit of seven foot high, if not eight. And Sam fell straight from the top, basically to his back and then to his head, uh, like a ragdoll. It hurt and, so bad. Uh, I think Dylan, Dylan may have said something like, here comes Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, Sam Rude. just smashes the ground, just flat. Like it was Dylan bad. really didn't think you were going to fall, but dude, you did. And I mean, it was you took a digger, a hard digger. Your wife had to leave the trailer. She was laughing so hard. Rude. Yeah. Like it, I was the only one that wasn't at me and Nate at first that didn't just bust up laughing. And Trey know? too. And I was like, I was like, Sam, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, 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 I'm okay. Like, and then were you really okay? Like, yeah. I was like, okay, he's okay. And then I just started laughing too. You know, it was bad. She was hard physically on you, Sam. It was very hard physically. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting old. I need to, I need to calm down a little bit. Well, don't tell me about getting old. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's when you will get old, when you slow down. Okay, so I guess the ride home, you I, know. I don't mind the drive. The drive doesn't really bother me out to California. I mean, I, I enjoy it. I think it's uh, some beautiful scenery, and I don't I don't look at it as a 30-hour drive. I mean, I just, you know, you just do your thing and drive and take state by state and enjoy it. And I think it's something that's broke up, and I, I don't mind. I would rather drive back to California for 30 hours in the RV then drive 10 hours to Texas tonight like I'm about to do after this podcast. Okay, that's fair. I uh, I think my favorite part of the drive home is when you leave Boone Road and get on the blacktop and all the dirt and dust from the week just flies off the top of the trailer in the camper. That's pretty cool. Didn't Nate say he had to stop and blow his radiator out like his RV yeah. was running hot? Yeah, the very first stop. So his RV all the way out there, it was like the gauge was broken or something. It was like almost dead center 195 never moved a degree up or down we left there and it was running like in the high 220s which isn't horrible but it was hot hotter than normal yeah and uh we pull in the very first stop and he's like i gotta do something i gotta blow that out he gets his uh, milwaukee leaf blower out and just blows through the radiator and a cloud of dust comes out from around that thing it come dust come out of it for about five minutes of that thing blowing in there yeah and after that Ride on 195 again, never moved again. So, I mean, it was a pretty uneventful ride home for us. Um, we Our first stop, we were hungry for lunch, and I got me a sandwich uh, from Subway, and I was all excited to eat it. And I get back to the camper, and Steve's like, you're driving this leg. I got this foot-long Subway sandwich with you know all the toppings that are falling everywhere. I'm trying not to make a huge mess in his camper. I get half of it ate. I drop half of it on the floor. I got so mad, I just chucked it out the window and kept driving. <laughs> oh no, I I honestly didn't drive a whole lot the first leg. Nate 
just about took care of most of it. I think I drove a short time. There was like a shorter distance between two stops that we had to make. And uh, I drove that. Besides, Nate got it, but I was hurting that day. I was super sore. I don't might have been something to do with hiking four miles, but uh, <laughs> my freaking thighs were on fire for that whole day. But the next day, I got in the driver's seat, and I think I drove probably eight hours of that day, and uh, no problem. So the first night we stopped uh, in Albuquerque, is that where we stopped? No, Gallup. We got to Gallup. Okay. Gallup, New Mexico. And uh, spent the night in a hotel or a, a Walmart parking lot. Jason and Trey got a hotel room. And first thing in the morning, I walked, which God bless those two. Trey, you need to give him a raise or something. Cause like everything he did the whole week was like, this is too much money. I got to save money. I got to save money. And we're like, it's Cody's card. Just, just. Go get like he didn't want to get the $65 hotel room, he had to get the $55 hotel room, which was a whole nother block away. Good man. And <laughs> so, anyway, I busted into you, their hotel. You would have you would expect the same thing. I, I would, I, I can't say anything, but it was $10 more for me to walk two more blocks to go get a shower on the next morning. So, Saturday morning, I went and stole their shower and took a nice hot shower in their hotel room. And then uh, we ate breakfast and kept trucking. So, yeah, yeah. So the drive doesn't bother me. It's not. I mean, I would drive out to California again. Um, we may or may not race the Ultra Four Series this year, and uh, we'll run out to have Lake Havasu, which is literally the exact same drive in October. Yeah, I think it's in October. Yeah, October. Visions, fall event. The thing I've noticed about a long trip like that is you get to like springfield missouri and you're like we're home you know what i mean and you still have like five hours yeah these next four hours are nothing that you so funny you say that um i hit kansas city about 5 a.m in the morning and i remember my dad had called me like hey how you doing you know because uh i think i sent a snapchat or something and my dad doesn't snap back but he does call and he called me and he said something along the lines of uh I don't even know what he said, but I was like, yeah, dad, I'm close enough now. You'll come get me. So I had already checked off the fact that like we've any, made it at this point. Any problem I have, even though I'm five hours from home, someone from home can some, come save me, you know? No, no more leave the title in the glove box yeah. from Dean. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you went, you left and went to Las Vegas. Yeah. I went to the AIM show in Las Vegas. Um, KOH or the KOH car was, uh, allegedly going to be needed at a, at a, vendor booth in there and then i found out the day i got there that it wasn't um going to be needed so i spent the first day at the aim show um which i planned to go to anyway i was going to come home and then turn around and fly back out there for thursday or friday so i just spent a couple extra days um in vegas kind of just hanging out and relaxing uh and found out that they didn't need the car so i went to the aim show just for the first day and i uh, got some really good information we're in the process of really changing over how we're doing things at the shop and uh we're, we're buying such a quantity of parts now. We're going to do a bigger quantity buy to, you know, have some, save some more money, have, have more profit at the end of the day. And I was able to make some good connections out there and more money for the new race car, Yeah, more money for the new race car, race program money. Right. So uh, very glad I went and uh, I, I had a smooth sailing trip home and just drove it on, drove it on home. I minus made, one thing. I made it home minus one thing. What happened bad on my way home? A strap broke. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, Randy, 
overstraps everything he does. Oh, here we go. Blaming Randy. <laughs> Jeep guys, am I right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Jeep I guys. I did not do any strapping in the trailer he's talking about. We had five <laughs> straps on a Razor and a strap broke and it fell off the lift sideways and it was an absolute nightmare. I had to like unload everything in, the, in a truck stop and get it back on the lift and then someone took my jack so I had to like do a bunch of fuckery to get it back on the lift but yeah, it was terrible. Um, that was that wasn't bad though. That's just part of it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's very very minimal. And uh, I always say though, every time you use a trailer, especially if you have new trailer, if you have a brand new trailer, enclosed trailer that's all finished, every time you use it, it gains a scratch. So like, I don't care if you go to Coles County Dragway for a weekend or if you go all the way to California, you're gaining one trailer damage somehow, some way. Uh, the silver trailer, poor Nate, drug a a bush down the side of, and I got a scratch from the front to the back. Uh, this trip, the stacker got a hole in the ceiling. You know, it's just like every time it's one flaw. And Randy, you're about to experience this because you're about to own a brand new truck. <laughs> That's exactly so. what I was thinking. I just sold mine yesterday and I'm going to order a new one. And now he's telling me this. I'm like, I kind of like the old trailer because I didn't worry about it. <laughs> well, you don't, on an old trailer, you don't know when you gain a scratch because there's already 50 of them, you know, like when it's all brand new, like you see every little thing and it's like every time you use it, it gains one scratch. Well, that happened to me the other day with my just car trailer flatbed. I had the wheel off of it to get the tire patched and I had one tire pulled up on a block. So I get the tire off of it. I go to back it off. The ground's muddy. The block like digs into the mud and tilts up and like bends the whole front of the fender forward. Like I can't have nothing nice. Like, Brand new trailer fender all bent to shit. Yep. Just every time you use an enclosed, a new enclosed, or new, it just one scratch, one scratch a trip. And it's funny because we literally, uh, I'll tell, I'll say this. You go to Coles County Dragway for the weekend, 30 miles from home, you're going to get a scratch. You go 30 hours from home, you're going to get a scratch. Take your pick. Just going to happen. That's how it is. So Cody, I have another question. When you're out in Vegas, cause you've been out there a few times, you know, on the way to King of the Hammers, like, do you stay in your RV or do you get a hotel room? Or like, um, what's the logistics of that? Both. I have done both. I prefer to stay in the RV, especially now. My RV now is is just so homey. Um, I could live in that thing. I I could live in it, you know, no problem. It's very, very homey for me. Um, and I would prefer to stay in the RV, but we have done the, uh, we've done the hotel deal and I'm not a gambler. I don't get into that. I, I love people watching in Vegas. So man, there's some, <laughs> there's some shit there to see. I'll say that for sure. Yeah. You know what? So like my thing is you can't log on to Facebook without seeing somebody's race rig stole after a race. Like, do you worry about that out there? Like um, what do you do or you just I'll be honest with you, I have never been one that is afraid of theft. Uh, maybe because it's never really happened to me on a large scale and I've never dealt with it, but I'm kind of the guy that's like, I've got insurance. I wish you would take it because that just means I'd give me a new race operation, you know? So <laughs> I'm sure it's not logistically that easy and I'm sure they would never cover the true um, value that's actually in, in there. And, you know, you would lose everything and you'd forget what was in there and you wouldn't, you know, go racing the next time. Like, Oh, where's this? It was in my other toolbox. Well, yeah, that got stolen kind of thing. But, uh, I would hate that to happen. And, uh, I've just never been concerned about that. I don't lock nothing. It's so funny because about every trip I take, I buy a set of padlocks. Cause I'm like, you know what? I really should lock this trailer. And we stop to go to dinner. I really should lock this trailer, but I don't keep an eye on them. I don't think about it before we leave. And they stay in the package. I bought padlocks this time and, um, I don't even know where they're at now. So, 
Yeah, so if anyone knows me, everything I own is unlocked. Help yourself if you want it. Don't bring it back. And please, please, please don't leave it somewhere in one piece. If you're going to take it, make sure it is donezo wherever you're at. So before we go on the next segment, if you care to comment, if not, we can just move on. But do you want to discuss 2024 CW Racing and what the kind of strategy or the thoughts are on the price program for next year so yeah so we can we can talk about that um i'm gonna go out this year with a very very different um approach uh we've always ran extremely built race cars super high end i mean i, I mean let's we'll talk about partially broke this year we bought you know we broke the best steering rack money can buy aftermarket we broke the best knuckles money can buy aftermarket we broke the best clutch money can buy you know um I'm done. I'm done doing that. I, I we, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna run OEM stuff. I'm gonna run factory, a very very factory machine, uh, and have a lot less money in building the machine. I'm gonna spend my money on on safety equipment and some comfort stuff. And you know, um, I've been reading a, the the Pro R's do have a weak ball joint from the factory. It's a it's a known issue, and I think we'll do good you know, good good ball joints in it and some safety stuff and. We're going to run a almost near factory tire size, so we're not really messing with any clutching. We're going to run stock clutching. We're going to run stock belt. I mean, we're going to run a very, very stock machine, and uh, we're going to go full kill. Full kill, hands down. So right. when this episode comes out, it will be days away from the new Polaris reveal. Have you looked at that at all? Uh, that's a, is there one coming? I thought there, I thought it was in August. Is there a, mid, a mid-year reveal coming? Yeah, March fourth or fifth or something like that it's coming i mean I, it's right away i haven't um there nothing that i'm interested in or they're going to change uh, i'm just I'm, I'm gonna call it right now what they're gonna do okay and i've not even looked at this and i've seen any leaked photo photos there's going to be a turbo rs1 that's going to release um the rs1 will come back out as a 1000 and a turbo they just dropped it for a year i think because of production stuff there's going to be a north star um full cabin closed general that's going to hit the hit the hit the market, um, and then I think you will see uh, another big, big high horsepower ATV to compete with the ATV game. But the biggest things they're going to push out is going to be an AC General, which will blow up. I mean, it's going to, it's going to. I mean, you know how nice the oh yeah, you know how nice the heat and AC was in a full Ranger. Now imagine that in a crossover, you know. So, um. I will eat some of my words on my last podcast when we talked about, you know, Rangers and Razors and blah, 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 because I now have a North Star, um, which is a Ranger, Polaris Ranger, that we had a blast with out in California. It's very, very built, though, so it's almost not a fair comparison. Um, and they'll release a North Star version of the General. They will bring back the RS-1 in a turbo version. Other than that, I think that's what they'll do. So mark my word, we'll see what happens. So I got an email from them today, which is why I know about it. And they're marketing so far, like they're releasing a video every day or whatever, just teasing, teasing, teasing. And their marketing for this is 15 years ago, we changed the off-road game with the RZR and they have like an 800 razor, you know, trail zipping around in the woods. And they're like, we're about to do it again. So maybe they're going to release a turboed pro R, but I just don't see it. I don't think that's coming yet. So. I can tell you from experience, it is not needed. <laughs> so do you really have to eat your words on that, Cody? Because yes, the 
The North Star you built was super nice, but would you ever really take it and wheel it in Tennessee? No, I, take, it, it's not the same machine. It's it has its place, but it's not what I you're going to try to use out would there. I take it to Tennessee, yes, with my grandparents in the back seat, and I would ride all the rock roads and I would show them off the sites to see. Um, would I take it to Tennessee if I had? five guy buddies that had never been riding and stuff. And like, maybe we would put it in a little bit of a situation. Yes, but never, never, ever, ever would I even go do what we're going to go do in a couple of weeks, you know, in the Ranger. So no. Well, you prop it up on a freaking Coke can. You'll flip the freaking thing over. It's so tall. I still feel like it's, if you're going to start with a razor, you still got to, st- or start get, getting a side-by-side game, you got to start with something like that razor if you're actually going to trail ride. And the North Star is like a secondary. Like, it's not something you only have. Yeah, I don't, I mean, guys that wreck ride them, I mean, God bless, because they do not feel stable or comfortable. And, you know, to those guys, they probably feel fine. But, man, if they got in a razor, those guys would be like, I can climb a wall. Well, that was what was funny I'll say about uh, Dylan we were, I mean, I, I was joking about the Coke can thing, but we're up at Chocolate Thunder and we're off camber. We're on our side on like kind of the parking area and he is like losing his mind. Absolutely freaking out. Like we're falling over, we're flipping over. And it's like from the Jeep world, like this is just normal. Like this is parking lot stuff for us, you know? And so we'll get into that in another episode. But uh, for now, Randy was never properly introduced the short story long way. And uh, we normally ask a set of questions to our guests. So right now I'm going to go ahead and ask Randy our short story long guest questionnaire. So question number one, Randy, how do you know us being me and Dozer? So I originally was going to say the Effingham Jeep Club for both of you, but I did know Dozer. Well, I met Dozer. I don't know if I really call it knowing him, but I met him at some a show, a Jeep show that was at the park in Effingham. Yes. And that was that like, was the Effingham Jeep Club. It was Effingham mm-hmm. Jeep Club. But that, we weren't like we weren't in charge of anything at that point. Yeah. It was it was before us. Yeah. So that's where I met They had a band. That was a good time. It was a good time. But yeah, so that, that's where I met Dozer and what, what but, year would you say that was? Oh my gosh. Oh seven probably, oh eight, oh seven. It had to be. Your, your kids were little then. I remember. Real little. It may have been before that. I don't. I. I couldn't even put a year on it. Years go by so fast anymore. I don't know. <laughs> I think it was oh seven ish. So that was Dozer. Yep, that was Dozer. Sam, it was definitely. I think if I remember right, it was Effingham Jeep Club, like at Quinella's. I believe you're right. Is I believe right? it was Quinella's. Yep. Went before when it was Gabby Goat was Quinellas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my a, dad dropped me off. Yep. I think that's the first time I met you. And hell, then I no, got no, 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 no. It had to have been Holiday when, Inn. Holiday Inn when I, took, when I went through the ditch on the exit ramp. You remember that? Uh, no, not necessarily. I don't remember that part, but I remember that's when I bought those Toyo Open Countries off of you that day. Those 35 inch non DOT Toyos. I don't remember that. There's been too many days, we, too many deals since then. You know, we I like, remember we the uh, wheeling videos up on the. I remember uh, we. I remember the event watching wheeling videos up on the uh, screen, but I thought Quinella's was before that. It may have been. I that don't was know. that was like that was mud 
there was a mud event at Ramsey or something, and we came back and finished the day there, and uh, had a RTI ramp set up, and yeah, but uh, yeah, that must have that was after Quinellas. Now that you say that, I think that was after Quinellas. I think I knew you, but it was it just that was, there's a difference between meeting you and knowing you right. too. There's sure. a difference. Okay. What about Cody? How did you meet Cody? Well, I was actually trying. Me and Nate was talking. Nate asked me that here a while back, and I was trying to think about that. I mean, I, I've just kind of known him in passing for a long time, and then really stopping by. The, I mean, I mean, everybody knows of Cody. Well, yeah, kind of know of him, knew knew uh knew who he was, and but then kind of knew him like just from the shop, um, his shop, not mine. And, uh, but really we were just thinking about it. It really wasn't until KOH last year that we really became friends. I think we always knew of each other. Um, and I'm probably going to give this credit to Sam because I was friends with Sam when he was working up there. And, uh, you know, I knew you wheeled, but you wheeled Jeeps. I wheeled razors, two different things. And razor guys don't like Jeep guys. Jeep guys don't like razors. That was one of those things, you know. He was one of them razor guys. We, uh, we, no, we actually, we wheeled, um, we wheeled uh, uh, Kentucky, Kentucky Lake. Kentucky Lake, but we didn't hardly know each other then. And I was like, Randy, hook your trailer to my, hook your truck to my toy hauler, and let's I, go stay here. Right. Your I, family came. My, you know, I, I went and I was by myself, and uh, yeah, Chloe ended up driving my Razor like that whole weekend. I do remember that, and you made fun of me because yeah, she, she was, was out driving me, out wheeling your ass. <laughs> I still think she could out wheel you. I remember that. Yeah, so I remember that. That was kind. Of, I remember it was kind of odd because Sam was. I think I worked. I worked at Snap on at the time with Sam yep, yep. and. Uh, Sam's like, hey, we're going to Kentucky Lake, go wheeling. You want to go? I'm like, well, bring a Jeep or I got a Honda Pioneer. And he's like, well, bring Honda. So I'm like, all right. And then next thing you know, I'm getting like, yeah, go hook to Cody's uh, toy hauler. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so hooked his 40-foot toy hauler up and put my air to tires out of the Honda and layered the suspension down to get it in the back of it. And that's when we got down to Kentucky Lake. We wheeled all weekend. Like, like Chloe rode with you and... We just had a good time down there, and uh, and we never really wheeled after that ever mm. together. All I do oh. is remember on the whenever we loaded up to go home. That's when I realized how Cody loads trailers with one one inch strap. <laughs> <laughs> it's inside. Where's it gonna go? No, this was on his flat trailer. I had to. Oh yes. I had oh to, yes. I had to yeah. close the other one. Yeah, Randall. I have never lost anything off of a trailer in my life. So. What? I have not. <laughs> what? Hey, me neither. What? Name something I've lost off a trailer. Name five. Multiple golf carts on Keller Drive? I, I did not. That was employee. That, that was employee. An air compressor out of the bed of your truck. <laughs> That's not a trailer. <laughs> that was not a trailer. That is not, that is not a trailer. A Honda Rancher on Crystal Club Road. Was uh, it on trailer or in the back of a truck? It was on a trailer. It may have been Kyle. Honestly, I don't think. I, I, to, to my best of my knowledge, and I'm very one that owns up to mistakes, I've never, ever lost anything. Now, yeah, I, he even he even got uh, fishtail real bad with a trailer one time west of Effingham and ended up in the median and nothing fell off. Yeah. we Your truck was on a trailer with surge brakes on the way back from Ohio, fishtail median to ditch to median, and it never came off the trailer. <laughs> then one inch straps are troopers. <laughs> I think we had two inches on that truck, nine thousand pound diesel truck. Yeah. So, oh my. The pretenses. I do probably overstrap everything, but I used to not. I used to throw a ratchet strap on the front, ratchet strap on the back, and and go. But I never lost anything. But I've cut straps and you know had to stop and restrap and 
Nothing bothers me more than an unneeded stop on a long drive. Yeah, And this is one thing that I think I told Sam that Randy doesn't quite get and he'll get as he goes around this. There's no way to strap a razor unsuspended unless you go around the tires. And, you know, we're not really designed to haul that way. And uh, we run live valve shocks, which gets even tougher. And then also something that Randy doesn't really know about is it's really, really hard on a live valve to strap it tight for a long period of time. Like it's super hard on the shock itself. So I would much rather let the shocks work a little looser, not be overly strapped tight and deal with the fact that I tear their nin closed and they're not going to fall out. And again, like I told you, when you're strapping on the way home, if I flip this thing over on the ditch, I do not want the razors strapped to the floor. I don't want that. I don't want the razors to be okay if I flip this thing over in the ditch. I want the whole operation to be done so. <laughs> yeah. So so something you guys probably don't know about me and strapping stuff in an enclosed trailer. Years, years ago, this had to be 2003. This was the year we got married, 2003. We were heading down to land. We decided to take a trip to land between the lakes with me and several of my friends. I was the only one with a Jeep at this time. So I was, we took, I was 14 at that point. Yeah. I, I took a, a, a CJ5 that I built. And then I also took my four-wheeler because how the deal worked is like all my buddies had four-wheelers. I used to ride four-wheelers three or four times a week. I mean, every chance I got. And then I got into Jeeps. But uh, we, so we had a third, close to a 30-foot enclosed trailer, had the Jeep in it, and then like three four-wheelers in front of it and then a bunch of camping gear. And it was all at my house, so I strapped everything. I went to work the next day. And, uh, when I got to the work, a buddy of mine was going to pull the trailer. So he hooked it onto the back of his Tahoe and it squatted his Tahoe pretty bad. So I guess he decided to unload it and reload it differently and strapped, but he did strap everything exactly the way I had it strapped because I guess, cause I had all the straps out and, uh, it didn't work out for us. We got to Sigil going down the hill and got fishtailing and actually spun that thing around and flipped the trailer on its side. Holy cow. The tow truck driver shows up and says, hey, we're just going to start cutting straps and dragging everything out of the trailer, and then we'll put the trailer on its wheels. And I'm like, no, you're not. That's stuff still strapped to the floor. He goes, no, it's never that way. It's, it's got to be sitting inside of the trailer. And when we pull it over, it'll fall, fall out of the side of the trailer if we don't take it out first. And luckily, we can, like, crack the back door open. And I cracked it open, and I'm like, no, everything's still strapped down. And that's when I noticed the Jeep wasn't wasn't in there the way it was. But it was still strapped down. Like, it was laying on its side, and the Jeep and the four-wheelers weren't even touching the side of the trailer. They were strapped that tight (laughs) to the floor. (laughs) Yes, and so we talked them into putting it on its wheels without um, dragging everything out. And then we went and got another trailer and kept going, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. yeah. Sign me up for a total of the rig after that. I'll go <laughs> spend the weekend laying on the couch. Okay. Well, question two, what is your occupation currently? Currently, I am an electrician. We do a farm and commercial electrician work for Fagans Electric. Okay. Matt Fagans is a great guy, good friend of mine. Had the opportunity to go work with him and uh, love every day. Tell you Matt you. is a hell of a guy for sure. Broke Scott Kaufman's heart. It did. Um <laughs> I was trying to remember what size shirt you wore because I'm going to bring you one to wear to work. 
I'm gonna do it. Oh I will god, do it. that would be awesome. In this in the summertime, I will I will wear a Figgins electric shirt to the Wednesday morning meeting. Does Absolutely. Scott listen to this podcast? No, nope. hope not because that nope. needs he, to happen. He only listened to like half of one of the KOH episodes and like the very first episode. He says it's boring. So yep. So uh, I need that size because we're getting ready to have new shirts made up, and it was talked about today. Nice, extra large for Samuel. So, what are your hobbies? Um, wheeling. I mean, is that okay. Apparently, is that, is that a real question? Is that a real I, question? I, I, I pretty much to decide how to ask it. But pretty much yeah. everything I do is a hobby besides going to work. And actually, going to work's a hobby too. I was gonna say, I love it. I go every day and enjoy a hangout with my friends. I mean, it's your your work is a side gig for you. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I mean, it's it's okay. I mean, I it's not like I I don't I do okay at work and uh, but. The guys I work with, the crew we have, work so well together that it's like going on a weekend to work with your buddies to help on a project every day. I mean, that's the way it feels. Nice. And uh, so besides that, going to do electrical stuff. I mean, there's times there's shitty jobs, but it's a shitty job. But you're working with guys you like, so it's still not bad. Right, right. Kyle's shop is a perfect example of a shitty job working with guys you like. (laughs) That wasn't the worst, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of what you mean. But uh, so hobbies, hobbies. I still like to build jeeps on the side, and I'm actually going to try to slow way down on doing it for other people because I got a lot of projects I want to build myself. Okay, and I actually have kind of decided if I can, I'm kind of decided it's be going to be even more profitable if I can build them on the side and then sell. I mean, I think that's going to be more profitable than working on for other people anyway and trying to bill your labor and stuff yeah gotcha just do it on my time and sell my project when i'm done with it because so, so so something you need to know about me is i have all kinds of hopes and dreams about building projects and i do i usually build most of them but my dreams move on really fast and i want something else <laughs> well you you made a really really good point at king of the hammers we were talking about building a rig or whatever. I think Jason was part of the conversation. We were looking at some rigs that were in there. There was, for some reason there was a Jeep in the tech lineup, but we were talking about Jeeps and stuff. And and you made mention like the, you know, the right way to do it is, you know, to get a project and build up some cash and then put this together and then put that together. And eventually it, it takes several years and you finish the project, but by the time you finish a project doing it that way, all the technology is completely outdated and it's not worth even having anymore. You're right. hundred percent right. So there's, and that's what I've noticed like in my past, like I'll build like, like uh, it, I'm sure we're going to come to this question eventually, but this isn't really my dream rig. So like my first TJ, I mean, I remember at one time my dream Jeep was to have a TJ on a four inch lift and 35 inch tires. And, and I did it four inch lift, 35 inch tires, but, Shortly after that, I decided I wanted a four-door on 40s, so I did that. Then I wanted a four-door on tons and a turbo, so I did that, you know, and it's just never stops. I mean, it just keeps going. Then I wanted a TJ with an LS, you know, and I did it, and then I sold it. You know, it's the, your dreams grow as fast as you can grow them. That's, 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 that's very insightful. I like that. And well, you, well, and the industry changes, you know. <clears throat> if you, you know, if you start an LS swap five years ago, and you're taking forever on it. Like now that you're there, like you probably had the factory computer or micro squirt or mega squirt. Well, now Holly came out with all their amazing EFI and like 
you may you may throw parts away and buy new ones if you take long enough to do a project. You are 100% right. That's the thing. I mean, you're, like I said, technology changes. So your dreams change accordingly. Like, like you can have this dream vehicle or Jeep you're going to build in your head. Like, like I did in 2007 and I built, you know, and I built it and I started to build in 2007 by 2009. It was, I wanted something completely different because technology changed and, and today's rate, I mean, our four door Jeep, I feel like it's a fairly well-built Jeep and it's not really no expense spared on it. I mean, and it does very well. I mean, it, it does what I want it to do. It does more than I ever need it to do. Um, probably built better than a lot of them in the area, but it's not, it's, it's not where I want to end. I, I kind of want to start over. I mean, I really do. I kind of want to just start completely over something completely different. Which you made a comment about your red TJ earlier and then also on the lake bed. It's kind of come for a full circle. We were talking about like, would you want your original rig back? I was talking about my Comanche. Like I would take it back and rebuild it or whatever a little bit better. And you made the comment about your TJ. Like I wouldn't want it back. I, w- I mean, but you appreciated the fact that you had it and you learned fabrication by building that jeep and i feel like we kind of came full circle like the jk that you have now has gone through a couple different iterations and now you've learned so much you're about ready to start over again on a new setup yeah i mean that's the thing it's always it's always growing and and i feel like if your dreams are not growing you 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 need to try harder i guess i don't know how to say it i mean if your dreams aren't growing because it means you're not accomplishing them i mean it, and that's kind of way i feel i mean if you're if you've got a dream you just need to go out and and accomplish it and then get another one i tell dozer this all the time and i'm never satisfied you know i i three years ago i would die to have what i have now and i want what's next you know i want bigger i want better and i think that with that mindset and being very open-minded, you'll push yourself into a better place in life. So I, I just seen something today. Is like I don't want to, I, I, I don't remember exactly how it's worded, but something like I don't want to um, cut my, cut my habits so I can afford them. I want to expand my income so I can enjoy them, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't want to cut back on what I do so I can make ends meet. Like, I want to make more so I can do more. You know. Well, and that attitude is why. I think some people don't like you and why I didn't like you for a long time because I would do a cage for you and you'd be like, I love it except for this, 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 like, and it happened over and over and over again. I'm like, this son of a bitch, you can't make happy. And then I realized at one point, like, that's how you got to where you're at because you're like, I like this, but it could be better this way. And I just realized that's how you are, where you are in life is that attitude. Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, you know, you're you're looking at that wrong. It's not that he's not happy. He was happy, and he, there's a way to make him happier. That, I mean, that's there's there's hey. always a way to get happier. I mean, I mean I've quit Cody twenty times. So. I mean, if you want to look at that, like that is where the CW cage, the low pro cage, all came about. Dozer uh, cut down a cage, and I didn't like how. I mean, the, they looked great. Don't get me wrong, but you could still see where it was welded. And I'm like, that looks like shit. We need to get you know what what can we do to get rid of that? Look what that morphed into. You know, had I settled for that, it never would be a thing. I mean, that's a nationwide product now. That I remember like sitting in my garage and saying, "Hey, this bolts together. Let's just make a new one." And you're like, "Yep, do it." And I'm like, "I'm not doing." that <laughs> here we are should have done that that's yeah. awesome so so question four randy what was your first car 
Uh, my first car was a 1990 Chevy Silverado Z71 black. Nice. Regular cab, long bed. And I I think I've heard a couple stories about this. And I think you I've heard you tell people like how much money you spent in gas. Oh, that that was my second truck. I, oh, okay. What, what okay. they need to know about my first truck was sixteen. My second truck was seventeen. My third <laughs> truck was. <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so yeah, my second truck was a nineteen ninety one Chevy, and I went to an extended cab. And in ninety one, extended cab was kind of not heard of. So none of my friends, you had a truck or you had a car. And extended cab was like, oh, we could go road trip in a truck instead of a car now. Yeah. So it spent a lot of time like that. But uh, yeah, it was. By the time I was driving it to uh, college, I guess, would be my first year of college at Lakeland, I that thing got horrible fuel mileage, and it was, probably was because of the way I drove it, not because of the truck itself. But it uh, had oversized tires and all the goodies you always put on them. But uh, I was filling the tank up on the way to college, buying a case of beer as I filled it up, bought another case of beer, on the second break in class, usually, <laughs> and another tank of gas, and then another tank of gas and a case of beer on the way home. It was a very expensive freshman year of college. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, I think I added it up. It was like 3500 bucks a month in beer and gas. Good Lord. Well, I will say Randy Dozenbrock <laughs> is the first time I ever seen a gooseneck hitch in a half-ton truck. Yeah? Dude, yeah. We, we, uh, my dad, We're... I mean, he, uh, I, I don't ever remember a time owning a three-quarter ton on the farm until his boys bought them. Okay. Um, his fur, The truck I remember first was a 76 Chevy full-time, full-drive, 400 small block half ton. And my fondest memory of that truck, and, and, and this is maybe like kind of where I get some of my uh, like car things from. Like he had it fixed up. It was on 33-inch tires, white spoke wheels. It was a yellow truck. And in 76, you know, a yellow 400 small block Chevy on white spoke wheels and 33-inch tires. That was a big deal. And uh, I remember it being hooked to a gooseneck with logs on the back of it. We were clearing out some timber. And I was a little bitty. I mean, surprised I even remember this. But I, I just remember it was muddy coming down the field road. And that truck and that trailer just slinging mud everywhere, hauling ass out of the field. And, and it made it. And it thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> That's awesome. So my father-in-law was a tech at a GM dealership in the 70s. And in the seventies, GM, you've seen them on Facebook. They were big into like showing you could pull a plow with your Chevy pickup truck. Yeah. He's like, people would do it. He's like, I put like a transmission a day in a truck. He's like, them farmers would just treat them like a tractor because they were advertisements said you could. And your dad has done that since the seventies. Like, it like they just order a brand new truck and pull. Yeah, you know, so loads of grain and stuff to the mill is whatever. So yeah, seventy six. He had the eighty six, which I own now, which was a six two diesel. It's a pooch, and the only reason it is in good as shape as it is now is because it, it, it really sucked. <laughs> Tell you the truth, <laughs> had no power, went going nowhere. So uh, it parked in the garage until harvest season, and we needed to pull gravity wagons. And then that truck probably has thirty thousand miles on low range. Because it would go to low range, hook two gravity wagons behind it, and it would drive back and forth to town every year all harvest season long that's I, it i love that truck and i, I got do. to drive that 
Uh, quite a bit. And uh, it's sadly, the uh, the original 6.2 did finally gave up this last summer, and I got a uh, LS on the engine stand building. If I could come up with a 6.2 LS just because it had the 6.2 diesel and it's got all the badging, I would probably ha- give up and to. go to a 6.2. Has to. Speaking of which, I took some pictures on Wednesday. I need to send them to you and Goodrich. There was uh, at BD Motorsports, Josh is working on like an 86 Chevy three-quarter ton van with a 6.2 in it. Nice. Oh, yeah. It's pretty, and it's cherry. It's cherry. It's got like 35,000 miles on it. But, anyway, so you said that that your dad's yellow truck, is that what got you into cars, question five? I, so, I don't know. I think all of it together. I mean, I don't really what got me cars. I just, the, the, the friend group I had in high school always had trucks and we were always fixing doing something to them there's always something going on that was probably part of it and the part that my dad like kind of allowed it because i honestly my first truck i never i didn't own any of the first ones so my everybody always said well you drive your daddy's truck well i did the difference was it was my truck when i was driving back and forth to school until spring or harvest come around and it was hooked to a trailer and then i had a thumb ride I mean, and that's the way it was. I mean, I, I, if I wanted to go somewhere, buddy mine had to pick me up if that was hooked to the gooseneck because there was a load of corn on the back of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but besides that, we had three or four trucks on the farm, and why wouldn't you just drive one that was there? And that's kind of the way it worked. Gotcha. I mean, so what is the most favorite car you've ever owned? Oh, oh man. It's good. It's a toss up. I really, really love my new Dooley, my 19 Dooley. I do. It is probably the best looking truck and just my favorite truck that, I mean, it, I feel like it turns heads. I get comments about it all the time. So it's, it's, it's either that one or our four door Jeep. I mean, turbo three, eight, one tons built suspension and, it is something about having a Jeep that can run across the desert at 40 plus mile an hour one time a year. I mean, I spent $6,000 <laughs> on suspension to do it one time a year. Or I can't say that because I also jump the bridge by my house every time I go on it cause, because <laughs> I have that suspension. Why not, right? <laughs> but I don't know. It's a toss up. It's one or the other. But I'm going to lean towards probably the truck. I, I love that truck. And. I love that is my favorite body style Jeep ever came out with and uh, bought the exact wheels I wanted. I didn't cut any corners when I did it, and I'm really happy with it. I love that thing. What would you say is the most unique vehicle that you've ever owned? The most unique would probably be... the. It would probably more have to be the whole setup, I guess. My wife, when we got married, had a few different vehicles, but we eventually ended up with a family vehicle as a 2006 Jeep Commander. And when we bought that, it was fairly new, There and people didn't... I mean, it was a newer vehicle. I think we bought it in 08. had like 20,000 miles on it. But as soon as I actually, before I actually went and picked it up, I had a lift kit, oil, and wheels, and tires ordered for it. <laughs> and... And nobody's ever in the in our area. Nobody ever lifted them, so it was right. like the first time anybody ever seen them lifted. And it had a VA and it had a tow package, and I still had that red TJ with a four cylinder five speed in it. And 
on that thing actually did really good pulling a car trailer with that jeep on it so it was like pulling a jeep with a jeep and so when you actually went to events that was kind of unique setup it's like people would like look at it come over and talk to you about it because you're well, something you see every day you're a jeep guy hauling your jeep to events with a jeep yeah sure and okay. and, and it actually did pretty well what would you say your dream car is? So, how close to a car does it have to be? A vehicle. Dream vehicle. Okay. So, my dream vehicle at the point in life that I am now would be, and doing what we're doing, and Cody has a little influence on this actually, um, would probably be a Peterbilt show hauler. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I like where this is going. This is way better than dozers. Money, just saying. Money does not matter. Is what Randy's about to say. Right exactly. Now. That so, that is the point of this question. That money is no object, and it does not have to be practical. It can be if you're dozer, but it's just snap your fingers and it's yours. Okay. Time out. What was dozers? A new diesel pickup truck. Oh hell, bud. Go get. I, I already told you. Go order one tomorrow. Yeah. There's probably one on the lot. Just go get one. If you do it right, you'll make money on it anyway. you got good credit, right? I don't want to work harder. (laughs) That's uh, that's where he doesn't realize. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Anyway, Peterbilt. Peterbilt. Show hauler. Show hauler. You know, big horsepower. What kind of horsepower? What are we talking? I'm talking thousand. I I was going to take it easy at like 850. (laughs) Take (laughs) it easy. Something reasonable. Something reasonable. Are we we talking Cummins, Caterpillar, Detroit? Together at 850. I mean, 600 would be phenomenal for that operation but i didn't even worry it, it really doesn't even care because i don't care if i gotta drive it slow because it's gonna look so good going down the road people Hell are gonna yeah. want to drive it so it'd be a peterbilt show hauler it's got to have a full bed in the back like the back of the hall the back of the uh toter home will have to have a full bedroom and then it's got to have the uh bunk bed on top of the cab and in between i mean there's some variations that don't really bother me but it's got to have a fifth wheel, and then there will be a 53-foot stacker with two lifts in the stacker, living quarters in the front of the trailer also. Hell yes. That sounds like a rig. That's a bad bitch right there. Is that the trailer we're getting on order for you here next yeah, week? I, oh, okay. I, I wish. I wish. Okay, all right. But uh, that, would be, that would be my dream vehicle, but I don't even know where that would land. That's probably somewhere around 1.3. <laughs> Yeah, sure. that would be every bit of that kind of dollar. Is that mile per gallon? <laughs> and miles per gallon, yes. I'd probably do better than you think. It probably it probably not a joke, down. Samuel. It's a <laughs> joke. Okay. And then uh, last question: What is your favorite car story and/or memory? There's so many of them. There really is. I mean, there is so many memories. But I'm gonna go down to the favorite car story is i wasn't even driving my shit was broke at this time uh we were at flat nasty new year's weekend um i broke my shit early not uncommon um (laughs) i jumped in with josh same jumped in with josh dork and uh we had we we made or actually uh josh's wife jennifer made fireball jello jello shot shooters Okay. The problem is they weren't really good at staying froze, but it was like nine degrees out. Okay. So when I jumped in with him, we decided, you know what? We'll just roll the window up. They're in a big plastic gallon plastic bag. So we, I roll the window up on them, hang them outside the door. Okay. All right. And we take off down this trail. We shoot up this hill. And uh, you know how you are when you're riding shotgun. You're kind of helping the guy spot. 
And we take off up this hill, and I start yelling, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. And he's like, what, what, what am I going to hit? The tree's really close to my shooters, and I had to roll the window back down and pull them in. <laughs> and then we back back up there, and he goes, what do you think? Do you think, what do you think it's going to, do you think I can, or I don't even remember how he asked it, but it, he's like, what do you think? You think we can make it? Or how hard, I think he asked, how hard do I have to hit to make, how hard do I have to hit this? I said, hard enough to make it's all that matters. Yes, <laughs> yes. I don't know how much throttle it was going to take, but I knew how much I was going to use. Exactly. All of it. Yes. All of it. That reminds me of, I don't remember, were we at, uh, were we at S'more, I think? No, not S'more, sorry, Moonlight. And Brian Larson goes mobbing <laughs> up this hill. <laughs> and the cooler opens up and milk and a bag of fried chicken falls out and rolls down the hill. We're like, what the hell just came out of Brian's cooler? He makes it to the top, hooping and hollering, comes down to the bottom. And it's fried. He had cold fried chicken in a Ziploc bag in the cooler. That's and he had a carton of milk for like white Russians or something. But I'm like, what the are you talking like why do you have fried chicken that's, on a wheeling trip that's a wheeling trip with a bunch of guys just grab some shit out of the refrigerator we'll survive <laughs> for oh shoot well uh that about wraps it up for this episode uh we thank you guys for tuning in and listening um when this episode comes out it will be just a couple of days until the indianapolis uh indy cylinder head swap meet so uh if you have any questions about that, reach out and uh, I can get you some details if you're interested. Uh, but please share your comments with us at askshortstorylong at gmail.com or get a hold of us on Facebook. Um, but uh, until next time, guys, keep your, uh, keep your throttle down and try, keep to, your, try keep, to keep it on a couple wheels at least. Keep, keep your trailers out of the ditches and your stackers strapped down and everything else. All right, we'll see you later, guys. See you, guys. Thanks for having us. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze, country road. Play.